as we hear scripture read from God's word. If you point these things out to the brothers, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, brought up in the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance, and for this we labor and strive, that we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, and especially of those who believe. Good morning. If you have your Bibles or iPads or whatever you use, uh, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4, 1 Timothy chapter 4. It's in the New Testament, follows Thessalonians, and uh, ironically enough, uh, before 2 Timothy. So 1 Timothy chapter 4, 1 Timothy chapter 4. We've been talking, we just finished a series in the book of Daniel, and the, and the theme of the book of Daniel as we went through it was the better kingdom. And we had talked about choosing to live for this better kingdom. And we looked at the life of Daniel. And Daniel was a man who lived and chose to follow this better kingdom. Kind of came to a head last week as we, as we uh, studied and we looked at Daniel and we saw him. That this was a guy his entire life pursued this better kingdom. And we saw that. And we saw how he lived his life. And our two points were kind of, you know, the characteristics of a better kingdom the characteristics of a man who chooses a better kingdom, and then the consequences of that. So that, that's what we've been talking about, is this idea of a better kingdom as we looked at Daniel. And now we want to talk about, and we're going to go through a series here in the next couple months, of the disciplines. Train yourself to be godly. What it takes and the things we need to be doing as we pursue that better kingdom. So we're going to start here, and this isn't one of the specific uh, disciplines, but we're going to be talking just kind of in general about training ourselves to be godly. And then in the weeks to come here at Cornerstone, we we have a a preaching team. So there's a group of four or five of us uh, that share and and get a a preach the Bible. If you get confused, I have a name tag that obviously says my name, Kyle. But my my grandma gave me, you know, you can tell us apart. This is how you tell us apart. My, My grandma, Margaret, gave me when I was a kid. One of those, she'd give us those little verses and it had her name and our meaning on it. My name meant handsome. So if you ever have, you know, trouble distinguishing who is who when we're preaching, it's pretty obvious, okay? So we want to welcome you. We're part of it. My my job this morning is to kind of kick off this series as we talk about the spiritual disciplines, as we talk about training ourselves to be godly. So this morning we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 4, 1 Timothy chapter 4. I'm going to read those verses Christy read to us as well. It says this, if you point these things out to the brothers you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus. Brought up in the truths of the faith and of good teachings that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has the value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying, saying that deserves full acceptance. And for this we labor and strive, that we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, and especially for those who believe. Let's pray. God, we thank you for Paul. We thank you for his life. We thank you for his teachings here as he points Timothy and how to follow you, 
how to pursue this better kingdom. God, we pray for us here this morning that we would choose to follow this better kingdom. God, we, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would teach us out of it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, 1 Timothy chapter 4. The first part of chapter 4 is going to basically deal with Paul, and this is Paul training Timothy. He's teaching Timothy, and he's basically telling Timothy, okay, have nothing to do with the teachings of the world. Have nothing to do with what the world is going to tell you to live, how they're going to tell you to pursue their kingdom. But what I want you to do is to pursue the kingdom of God. And he spends the first part of that chapter talking about, you know, kind of the ways of the world, talking about the teachings of the world. And he talks about, you know, some of these things may even seem spiritual. He says there will be people that will teach you, you know, you're going to be more spiritual if you don't marry. Let me tell you something. God said it is good to marry. He who finds a wife finds a good thing, okay? A lot of us in this room have, have married up. I think of Matt especially. Okay, who, he who finds a wife, you know, finds a good thing. Okay, he says there, you know, some are going to tell you that you need to abstain from certain foods or certain, certain drinks. Okay, that's not from the Bible. There's certain people that, you know, ride around on bikes and wear ties and shirts and helmets and look like they're out of the 50s and name tags. And they tell you you've got to abstain from certain things. And he's saying you need to stay away from these false religions, from these false teachers. Instead... Amen. You need to pursue the kingdom. You need to, to figure out what my word says, get into my word, dig into my word, and this is how you should live your life. goes on to say, verse 7, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Godless myths. What, what is a myth? A myth. I think I, I think I got one this week. I got an email. Maybe you guys can help clear this up. I got an email from this guy in Nigeria. He's a Nigerian prince, and I'm not sure if this is a myth or not, but he's offering me $15 million dollars. $15 million if I fill this out and send it back to him. Does that sound like legit? I, mean, I might try it out. He just wants a few details, social security number, date of birth, things like that. I don't know. But millions of dollars, a myth. You know, we get these kind of things, you know, in our email. That's, that's a myth. Some of them may, may even seem spiritual, right? You know, if you forward this on to 10 people, something good's going to happen or something bad won't happen. You know, 2,000 years, God didn't operate that way. He didn't change all of a sudden. All right, email didn't come along and change that. We need to know what the word of God says. Things can even seem spiritual, but it doesn't mean it's of God. Spiritual, godless myths and old wives' tales. Old wives' tales. Some of these things, you know, we think of things of, of old wives' tales would be something, a thought. It's a popular thought or idea that's been kind of embedded in the culture, okay? A few of them that I can think of is that all of us are good people. This is a popular thought. It's kind of been embedded in the culture that inherently and at our core, everyone is good. Everyone is good. That's kind of a popular thought of the culture. But the Bible says what? No one is good. No, not one. That's the truth of Scripture. That's what, what Paul is talking about to Timothy, that we must know and understand the Scripture. No one's good. Right? That's why we need God, because not a single one of us at our core are good. It's a popular teaching. Another one might be that um, we all worship the same God, right? You hear that, that as long as you worship God. We talked about that with Oprah a couple weeks ago when Oprah had, did that little segment and she was talking and, you know, hey, it doesn't matter as long if you, if you call him Jesus or you call him the light or you call him Muhammad, as long as you believe in something, as long as you have that spiritual aspect of your life, that's fine. It's not what the Bible says, is it? You study the Old Testament, man, God, no other God before me. 
Jesus comes. I am the mediator between God and man. No one comes to the Father but by me. We know the truth of the word of God is that there is one God, and we are to serve him alone. And there is one way, as Jesus says to the Father, and that's through him. We must know the scripture. We must know and understand what it says. Another popular one is, in the end, God will save everyone. That in the end, we're all going to be okay. That it's all going to work out. It's not what the Bible says. If you read and you study the New Testament and you go through the end of the Bible, it's not how it ends. It's for those who trust and know the cross and know the message of cross and know who Jesus is. So this is, the, this is what the, Paul is challenging Timothy with. Know the scripture, know what it says, and then do what? Tell other people about it. It's exactly what it says in verse 6. If you point these things out to the brothers, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus. So we are to know and we are to study and we are to learn these things and then tell others about them, to train others in the way they should go. So that's what he says, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, rather, train yourselves to be godly. See that rather, instead of being embedded in the culture of the world, instead of listening to the teachings of the world, following the teachings of the world, letting them integrate your life and your philosophy, rather, train yourselves to be godly. He says, train yourselves to be godly, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. Okay, train yourselves to be godly. What does it mean to train? Discipline. So what he says here, train yourself or discipline yourself. What does it mean? Well, I think a great example of training is Michael Phelps. We know who Michael Phelps is, right? Olympics are coming up and this idea of training and, and disciplining ourselves great theme for, for what we're going through here. But Michael Phelps is a guy who knew how to train. Here's his diet. Michael Phelps had 12,000 calories a day he put into his body. 12,000. Okay, the average man is around 2,000. 12,000 calories a day he put into his body. Now, here, here was his diet. This 12,000 calories. So his breakfast typically consists of three fried egg sandwiches topped with cheese, lettuce, tomatoes, fried onions, and mayonnaise. That was three. Okay, three fried of those. Toast, an omelet, porridge, three pancakes, and two cups of coffee. That's his breakfast. It's a large breakfast. Lunch. That was, lunch usually consists of a pound of pasta, two ham and cheese sandwiches, and 1,000 calories of energy drinks. That's lunch. Supper. Another pound of pasta with a pizza, not a slice, with a pizza, more energy drinks. In addition to this, he would take protein supplements to keep his muscles in top condition. This was his diet. This is what he put into his body every day. Sounds great. A lot of us do that, and, you know, we call it the Fatkins diet. We go on our way. All right, he didn't stop there, though. Here's his training. Phelps training, trains for six hours a day, six days a week, without fail. Even if Christmas Day falls on a training day, he still does a full day of training. He swims approximately 50 miles each week, which is over eight miles per day. Here's a nice part. He has two massages every day and takes ice baths to help his body recover. Well, that, that is discipline, right? That is training, right? That's what it is. You train yourself to excel at something. That's exactly what Michael Phelps did. I, I played basketball uh, in high school and college. I remember one year, 
thought, you know, I'm, I'm determined I'm going to have a good year of basketball this year. My junior year of college. So I bought those little shoes, you know, that have the little lifts on them. You know, I, I have white man's disease. I jump my verticals two inches, you know, so I needed something to help improve that. So I got these shoes, and they have the little lifts on them there, and I would run sprints with them, and I'd run around in them and do all these things. I want to in, in, improve in that. And I, I lifted weights, obviously still reflects that I'm still actively involved in doing that. And then I took these, these shakes, you know, these calorie shakes that were like 2,000 calories. You've seen those? And I would drink these things throughout the course of the day. So I'm pouring these calories, and I, I gained five pounds. Yeah, it was, it was unbelievable. <laughs> unbelievable how that works. So I, I would do all these things, so train. And, and that year of basketball, it was, it was my best year of basketball. I played basketball all the time, got ready for it. And I, I, my field goal percentage was the highest it ever was, my free throw percentage, my three-point percentage. I averaged more points than I ever did that year. I had trained, right, for something. And I know what you're thinking. Man, this guy reminds me so much of Michael Phelps. Wow, it's incredible. <laughs> no, obviously, nothing like that. My dad once said about me, he says, you know, he's, he's not athletic at all, but he works hard. <laughs> I think that's a compliment. I don't know. Feels like a compliment, yeah. He works hard. That's great. But we want to train ourselves to be godly, that we work diligently towards something. It's the same way. What's he say here? Physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. Physical, that's good. You know, it's good to physically train ourselves. It's good to have, you know, a regiment that we, we follow, that I'm going to go run, I'm going to stay in shape, I'm going to work out, I'm going to do these things. That's, that's a good thing. You know, I want to be around someday. My wife reminds me of this. You need to stay in shape. I want to be around someday, 40 years from now, walk my daughter down the aisle, right? I want to be around. We want to be around for our kids, 40 years, right? That's, that's not too much. My, my wife played me a song last night, and it's about this dad and her daughter, you know, and they're dancing together when they're kids, and then she's dancing to teach her to go to the prom, then dancing to, for her wedding. I'm like, that, that's a terrible song. What are you sharing that for me? You need to be around for these things, Kyle, you know? So she wants me to stay in shape, to work out, you know, to eat healthy. I have a, my diet usually consists of eating a, Little Caesars has pizza, $5.00. You know, I eat a whole pizza for lunch, go to Taco John's for supper, you know, and a shake for dinner. You know, so, but she wants me to eat healthier. So physical training has value, right? Carol gets on my dad all the time about drinking Coke, you know. We want to stay in shape. We want to be around for our grandkids. We want to be around for our kids. Physical training, that's a good thing, okay? But, but what's he say? But, but, godliness has value for all things. Physical training, okay, but godliness has value for all things. In other words, he goes back, train yourselves to be godly. That physical training, that's great, that's okay, but there's something greater for this life and the life to come. That is godliness, that we train ourselves to be godly. And that's what we're talking about with this, with this series that we're going to go through, is that we want to train, we want to discipline ourselves to be godly. Norb was speaking one time, and I don't know if he was going through the Psalms or he was speaking on prayer, but he, he made the statement that it takes 30 days to develop a habit, right? 30 days to develop a habit. This isn't easy, okay? Training ourselves and disciplining ourselves is not easy. Did, did what Michael Phelps did, did that, does that seem easy? No, that, that takes work and dedication. That's what Paul is telling us. To train, to discipline ourselves is not easy. We've talked about it before, you know, living the Christian life, pursuing this better kingdom is one of the most difficult things we're going to do. 
But God said it's so much better. It's going to have an impact not only in this life, but in the life to come. That's what he's calling us to, is this life of godliness. And you know the, the best part about it? Yeah, it's difficult, it's hard, but when we do it, and it when it becomes part of our life, you know what happens? And we want more of it. Psalm 34.8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And when we begin to train and we begin to discipline ourselves, man, we want to begin to do it more. My, my grandma, my grandma Margaret, she's the best cook. She was the best cook that I've ever, ever, best meal I've ever had. You'd agree, right, Grandpa? She was an awesome cook, okay? I haven't had a meal like that since my grandma passed away. My wife's teaching Sunday school today, so I can get away with that kind of statement. Don't tell her. I haven't had a meal like that since my grandma passed away. We would go over there every Sunday, right? Every Sunday after lunch, we would go over there, and my grandma, would, she would prepare. We had mashed potatoes, gravy, you know, some sort of, of roast of some sort, you know, biscuits. Then for dessert, she had this pudding dessert that was awesome. And we'd loosen our belts a little bit. We'd get in for the long haul, and we'd dig in. We'd have a helping, two helpings, three helpings, dig in for the dessert, you know, and oh, man, what a meal. My grandma could cook. And we go home that night, and my mom's not here either. So my mom, she used to, we always say, you know, oh, God bless her. That's when you're going to say something negative about a person. Oh, God bless her. My, my mom, for lunch, she, uh, her sandwiches would be cheese and butter. That's what she'd make. Because she was always afraid the meat was going to spoil. So in my sack lunch, I'd take the, you know, open it up. There's that cheese and butter sandwich. Yeah, God bless her. So, so these were the meals that, that my mom cooked. Now, she is a much better cook than, than she used to be. But this is what she made. So we'd come home from Sunday dinner, and that night, my mom would be like, oh, you ate at grandma's today. You're, you're going to be fine. But you know what happens when you eat a meal like that? You know, your stomach expands a little bit. You've tasted something awesome. And you want more of it, don't you? You want a meal like that. You don't want the cheese and the butter, as, as appetizing as that sounds. You want this meal like my grandma had. You tasted something. Your stomach, you've, you've expanded a little bit. You've experienced something great, and you want more of it. That's the way it is with God. That's the way it is when you experience and you train and you discipline yourself and you begin to get into God's word. You begin to spend time praying. Remember Daniel? What'd he do? Three times a day, he went and prayed. He opened the windows towards Jerusalem, and he prayed. Daniel had developed discipline, and he probably got to a point where, man, he loved it, and he had to have that time with God. That's the way it is with God, is when we experience it, we want more of it. Listen to this. This is a quote from a, a book called A Hunger for God by John Piper. He says this, One might think that those who feast most often on communion with God are least hungry. They turn often from the innocent pleasures of the world to linger more directly in the presence of God through the revelation of his word. And there they eat the bread of heaven and drink the living water by meditation and faith. But paradoxically, it is not so that they are the least hungry saints. The opposite is the case. The strongest, most mature Christians I have ever met are the hungriest for God. It might seem that those who eat most would be least hungry, but that's not the way it works with an inexhaustible fountain, an infinite feast, and a glorious Lord. Isn't that true? 
Isn't that true? People that feast on the Lord. People that have tasted and seen that he is good. People that spend time reading and studying and learning how God wants us to pursue that better kingdom. People that spend time praying and talking and communing with God. They want more of it, don't they? Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote 13 books in the Bible, at least. 13 books in the Bible. What does he say? He gave us a lot of our doctrine, right, that we use in the church. A lot of the words of God come or penned by Paul. What does he say? I want to know Christ. Is there ever a man that seemed like he would know Jesus? It would have been Paul. But what does he say? I want to know Christ. He had tasted and he had seen that the Lord is good. You know, I look at somebody like my grandpa. You know, my grandpa's not no spring chicken anymore. Here's a man who's been in the Word of God his entire life, and yet you still look, and he underlines things, he's studying. We were talking last week. He goes, Kyle, I was, you know, a lot of you, the feedback I got, oh, Daniel was 80 years old. That's impressive when he was in the lion's den. Yeah, my grandpa said, yeah, I learned that when I was 92. Man, you continue to feast on the Lord, right? Continue to get in his Word. When we train and we discipline ourselves to be godly, and we want more of it. We want to spend time. We want to learn more. We want to hear what God is teaching us and showing us and, and telling us how we can pursue this better kingdom. So that's it. But godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. We want to train ourselves to be godly. Here's the thing, though doesn't end there. And the most important part of this message is verse 10. And I want you to hear verse 10. I want you to grasp verse 10. It says this, and for this, we labor and strive. Okay, we do this. We train ourselves to be godly. We discipline ourselves to be godly. Why? Why do we do it? Why do we labor and strive? Here's why. That we have put our hope in the living God. Okay, don't, don't, don't get these messed up. Don't, don't flop this. We don't train ourselves. We don't discipline ourselves to have favor with God, okay? These things aren't done so God finds favor with us. I don't read my Bible. I don't pray so then, oh, God will find favor with me. No, I have favor with God through his son Jesus, and that is why I do this. Because of the hope I have, I want to labor and strive. I want to train. I want to discipline. I want to do what it takes. I want to be like Daniel and pursue that better kingdom because of the hope I have, because of what God has done for me through Jesus on the cross. So don't get that messed up. See, there is nothing we can do to earn favor with God apart from trusting in his son, Jesus. And when I have trusted in his son and when I have that hope, then then I want to labor and strife. Then I want to train and discipline. That's what motivates me, is Jesus. Duty or guilt will motivate us for a while, but only the love of Jesus will motivate us for a lifetime. We want to be motivated by that. If you're motivated this morning, oh, I need to do this. Yeah, I need to do it. Kyle's right. I need to get into the Bible. I need to read. I need to pray. That's only going to keep you going for a while. But when we love Jesus when we love God for what he has done through his son, Jesus, that is what is going to motivate me to get into the Bible. 
Verse 10, the final verse we're going to go through this morning. The last part of it, he says, We have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially those who believe. The worship team, they're going to come back up here, and and we're going to have a time where we continue to worship, and we're going to take communion to remember what God has done through his son Jesus. And if there's one thing you grasp in this message, man, get get it from verse 10, because it is a powerful verse. I'm going to read it again. And this is why we labor and strive, that we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially for those who believe. Man, we labor and strife because of what God has done through Jesus. God has given us his son, Jesus. That is why we labor and strive. And it is for the world. That's what he says, right? Verse 10, this is a Savior for all men. You know the most famous verse in the Bible. You know, it's John three 16. You've seen it under Tim Tebow's eyes and behind a field goal post. And John three sixteen. for God so loved the world. God loved the world that he gave his son, that he gave his son. God has loved the world. But what, what, what's, the, what's the catch in that? The catch is it's especially for those who believe. You know, there's nothing we can do to earn favor. You can't do works. You can't get in the Bible and read and pray, and then God's going to suddenly find favor. No, there's one thing we can do to find favor with God. That's trusting in his son, Jesus. Trusting in what he has done for me on the cross. These aren't my words. These are words of God. These are the words we find in Scripture. That believing in his son is where our hope lies. And because I have that hope, I labor and I strive. Right? This morning, we're going to take communion. And this is something, if you have a relationship with God, if you are in that, especially for those who believe, if you've put your trust and your hope in Jesus, if you believe in God, what he has done on the cross through his son, Jesus, dying for you, man, communion is you. Communion is for you. We have the bread and the juice, and we'll leave it up here. And we encourage you that if you have a relationship with Jesus, come up. Take the bread and the juice. There's nothing magical about it. It doesn't turn into Jesus' body or his blood. But it's a chance for us to remember that Jesus' body was broken and his blood was shed for me. That he went to the cross and he died for me. If you don't know Jesus, that's okay. For now, we want you to know Jesus. But man, think about what this means. Sit where you're at and think about what this means. Think about what God has done through his son. Think about this great hope that you can have through his son, Jesus. This is what God offers us for this life and the life to come. Let's pray. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that our hope is in him. And we labor and we strive and we train and we discipline because of what Jesus has done. God, what a thing you have done. You have found worth in us us, and you have loved us so much that you have done this for us. You have given your son, Jesus. God, we're reminded that there is no one good, not one of us, and that is why we need you. That is why we need your son. So this morning, we want to remember him. 
we want to worship Him. And we want to labor and strive and train and discipline because we love Jesus. It's in His name we pray. Amen.